Hey, this is John Stevens, pastor of Chapelwood, and this is our weekly sermon podcast. I hope it will impact your heart and your life and help you grow closer to God. Check us out online at chapelwood.org. Thanks for tuning in. Today's scripture is taken from Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 14 and 39 to 45. You may follow along with me by turning to page 56 in the New Testament section of the Pew Bible. Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided, after investigating everything carefully from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Once he was serving as priest before God and his duty was on, section was on duty, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me? that the mother of my Lord comes to me. For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please greet one another. Good morning and happy holidays. We're so glad that you're worshiping with us. Uh, Whether you're physically in the sanctuary or joining us online, we're truly coming together as one body to worship together. I would invite you uh, to go to chapwood.org slash home to register your attendance, to also see what events are going on that you can be a part of. Uh, As it is the holiday season, we also have a lot of Christmas Eve services coming up. So check out chapwood.org slash Christmas for a list of all of our services, special events, and special offerings that you can join. We're glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. Already, 
that sound, it kind of sounded like a Charlie Brown Christmas special version of, that was really good. Uh, the band, James and the band um, released a Christmas special concert on Friday night. So if you go to Chapelwood's Facebook page or James Kelly's Facebook page, you'll find the 30-minute concert there. It's a great opportunity to put that music on in the background. Thank you all for doing that. It was wonderful. <laughs> So it should already be Christmas because there's no chocolate left in my Advent calendar. <laughs> so I've decided that my new Advent calendar is going to be, I'm going to walk in the kitchen and just open the cabinet and just eat whatever I want to until Christmas, which I have been doing for a couple of months anyway. You know, this season, as we come into the Advent, we are preparing and looking ahead to Christmas. Advent is uh, four weeks a season of fasting and preparation before the season of Christmas. Every, every Christian high and holy day, and the two big ones for us are Easter and Christmas, preceded by a time of fasting and preparation. So at Easter, it's Lent, and Christmas, it's Advent. And the word Advent literally means in Latin to come to or preparing to come. And so we are preparing not only that Jesus came 2,000 years ago born in the story that we celebrate the birth of Jesus, but also, a lot of the times in the lectionary passages, the scriptures that are chosen during Advent are about the second coming of Jesus, the return of Jesus. Because again, we are preparing for the coming of Jesus, not just in the past, but also in the future as well. It's also a time for us to get ready. Now, I know that Christmas has been on uh, full bore since the day after Halloween. Uh, every shopping center has everything up and we've already... I'll, I'll have to admit to you that uh, since covid in my house, we never decorated Christmas before Thanksgiving. I used to be kind of judgy of people who did that. I do it now, and I don't judge anybody, and you don't judge me because I just need extra Christmas season. Uh, so we set those things up. And what I find in the season of preparation, especially in Advent, is there, there's a time where you are recapturing some things that you tend to overlook or underappreciate. And so this sermon series we're doing is called Overlooked. And we're pulling out some of the characters of the Christmas story that aren't the main characters, the ones that we always associate with in our nativity scene. Now, there is some in the nativity scene. But today, as we talk about Elizabeth, she's not one that's in the nativity scene. You can probably get one custom made if you want, an, an, an elderly pregnant woman sitting in a chair. I think I might get the Nissan brothers in Bethlehem to olive carve me an olive wood Elizabeth to put in my nativity. But it made me think this week about things that are overlooked in my own life. So in our staff worship on Tuesday, I shared some things and I had our staff break up into groups and share, what are things you overlook or you underappreciate in life? For me, for example, uh, this past week or really week and a half when the temperature dropped so cold, we were taking the dog for a walk and you know how it gets really, really cold and the wind starts to blow and your eyes start to water and you can't stop your eyes from watering. You know what I'm talking about? And I was walking down the thing and I had, didn't have enough, you know, cover on and I was just complaining to my wife, Stephanie. I was like, it's freezing out here. My eyes, I can't stop my eyes from wandering. And she said, you, we've been waiting for this day for 10 months. <laughs> You can't complain about it. You have to appreciate it. And I thought in that moment, you know, I overlook that. I overlook how special it is to have a day where you're walking and the wind is blowing so cold that your eyes water. I thought also about things like when you live in the city, 
uh, you forget and you overlook and underappreciate what the sky looks like. And some of you have places outside the city. I, I remember when I used to drive from school to, uh, to home in Columbus, Georgia, to Statesboro, Georgia, uh, you'd go down some, some old South Georgia back roads to get there if you took the back roads. And at night, you, I'd, sometimes I'd just stop and just look. There's no lights anywhere except for the stars in the sky. There's something special about that. And when you live in the city, you tend to forget that. You overlook it because there's just the star. I mean, uh, there's just the moon. And then maybe if one of the planets is really bright, that's about all you get. Another thing that uh, was an, an overlooked thing for me as we were unpacking the attic and taking all the decorations down, man, you find that Fraser fir evergreen candle and you open it up. It's got some dust on it. You got to get off and then you light it up. And all of a sudden I, I call these uh, scent bookmarks. They're bookmarks in your life that are caused by scents, uh, smells. And when I was young, we always went to the farmer's market in Columbus, Georgia to get a Frasier for a Christmas tree and to put it in the house. Uh, I stopped doing that because I don't do sap. So now we just do the picture, but we got the candle to make up for the scent. And there's a bookmark there in my brain. It takes me back to those specific moments and times in my life. You may have overlooked moments in your life. I think it's a good time of the year, uh, especially in Advent as you're preparing for Christmas to think about relationships, think about situations or stories or experiences that sometimes you tend to overlook or don't give as much uh, focus to or appreciation of. Maybe there's people in your life that are underappreciated. This is a good time of the year to look at them. In 1916, <clears throat> Karl Barth, who is a Swiss theologian, actually was one of the most profound academic, you can go to the next slide, one of the most profound academic theologians in the 20th century, uh, gave a series of speeches in 1916, right in the middle of World War I. And the, the speeches are the book ended up writing called The New World in the Bible. Now, Karl Barth, uh, I'm sure all of you who took systematic theology in your graduate school degrees understood, you know, the, the movement of liberal Christian theology of, of Schleiermacher and all of those. He was influenced in that. But what Karl Barth did, what set him apart is he made a move into interpreting the Bible called neo-orthodoxy. And it was a whole new way of experiencing the Bible. And it wasn't about constructive criticism or historical criticism or all of these sorts of things. He, he went into it as far as a way to experience the living God. And so there was a big move in the Christian strand of tradition and teaching to be very academic about theology and understanding the Bible in the early 20th century. And so Bart gave this series of, of talks. They were groundbreaking. They opened a whole new door and invited people into a new way of reading and experiencing the Bible with fresh eyes. So for example, he said some things like, well, the opening of the Bible is filled with traveling nomads and talking burning bushes, the humiliation of Israel's exile, the miracles of Jesus, the message of resurrection. What are we to make of such a book? He asked. What are we to make of such a book? Bart said, that is the question that far too many people are far too quick to answer. Is it history? Oh, yeah, it's history. Is it morality and ethics? Yeah, it's that too. Is it a record of religious ideas? Yeah. Does it tell us the story about God? It does that. It does all of that, Bart said. But it's so much more than that. Is that all? 
Is that enough? Bart was not content with the typical answers. What he said was he was suspicious of all of the readings of the Bible that look for our needs to be fulfilled, for our questions to be answered, for our worldview to be affirmed, for our positions and places in the world to, to be validated. Now remember, 1916, right in the middle of World War I, the world is at each other's throats. Disagreements. We're not far removed from the Spanish flu and a pandemic. Everyone is at each other's throat. Politics are divided. The world is divided. They are literally at war. That sounds familiar? And he speaks of a new way of looking at the scripture. He was critical of people who came to look for the content in the pages of their Bible to find their own little God who can help them with their own little problems, he said. Is that the reason Christ died? Surely not. And so Bart, who didn't like easy answers, didn't offer any easy solutions. But he hinted at this. He said, if we come at the Bible, what we find if we are willing to set aside our petty needs if we're willing to set aside our own personal questions, our own personal worldviews, our own personal agendas, if you are willing to set those things aside and you come into the scriptures, what you will find, he said, is God. A relationship with the living God. Not God our helper, not God our redeemer, although he is all of those things. You will meet God. The God not according to your expectations or your conceptions, but the God who is. God as God is. He said, we stand on the outside of a great feast, but in the pages of Scripture, we are invited in, and God and humanity will sit down in festive fellowship. You see, what Karl Barth, who was one of the smartest, most academically focused theologians in the 20th century, what he said is, we're not into the Bible just for Bible study although he was one of the most gifted Bible teachers there was. He said, what we are about when we come into the Scripture is we are about seeking biblical living and practice. It's experiential, the things we tend to overlook. And so Bart said, do not just read the stories, including the Advent stories, in order to find out how to get God to participate in your life in the way that you want God to participate. Or... Don't enter into the story just to placate God, just to please God, to make you feel as if you're checking the box to do the right thing. No, he said, we read the Bible to enter into a new world, to enter into a new reality, to be surprised, to be caught off guard, to be drawn into the reality of God's actual working in the world. We are called to participating with God in the world on God's terms, not on our terms. Now, that may not sound radical to you today, but in Bart's time it was. And it opened the door to a new way. He used an illustration in his lectures, uh, an analogy, which I think is interesting. He said, imagine a warehouse where a group of people, young and old, lived in this large warehouse. They have everything they need in this warehouse to live a fulfilled life. They have all the food and the shelter and the resource, but it's a warehouse. There are no doors. There, there are only windows, but they're covered with smudge and dust and you can't see out of them. He said, imagine one day if a young child were to somehow climb up and begin to clean the window and look out and call the others to look out and they see people walking on the sidewalk. And as they're walking, they're pointing in amazement to something above them. 
They're smiling. They're laughing. They're filled with joy. And the kids turn around and look up and they say, I don't really understand what's so special. This is the same roof of the warehouse we see all the time. Those people are crazy. Those people have lost their minds. He tells in the story as it goes on that not only uh, the people in the warehouse have no heavens above them, just a roof, but he said, what would happen if one day one of those kids cut a door out of the warehouse, coaxed his friends out, and discovered all of a sudden the immense sky above them and the grand horizons beyond them? This is what happens, Karl Barth says, when we open the Bible we enter into a totally unfamiliar world of God, a world of creation and salvation stretching endlessly above us and beyond us. Life in the warehouse never prepared us for anything quite like that. And, and this is what Advent does to us every year. I think Advent is so different as we enter into, I mean, look, everything's different. There's poinsettias, there's Christmas trees, there's decorations. There's something about us. Christmas is being prepared. Our houses look different. The world looks different. The neighborhood looks different. There are lights springing up. Everything feels and sees and senses differently. It's a whole new door open to us. And in that moment, we begin to think about more transcendent things. If, if we're aligned in the right way, we begin to think about the season and the nature of the season, the weight of the season, what it's really all about versus what a lot of people want it to be about. And all of a sudden, we began to see a new heaven and a new horizon. And we're invited to walk into that, a season of love where God comes to the world, Emmanuel, God comes to us, that God lives among us. And we can actually participate in a life and experience with that God. And we can love and we can care for one another. And we can be Christ, embody God's grace in the world each and every day. That doesn't have to go away. But then what happens is at the end of Christmas, the day after Christmas, XM Radio stops playing Christmas music. And we pack up our stuff in our plastic bins and we cart them up into the attic because it is time to get on with the new year. Which is really another way of saying it's time to get back to the warehouse. It's time to get back in the warehouse. And so, my friends, I would say the Advent season, as we look at some of these characters, they invite us to maybe see that the real reality is the biblical reality. And God is constantly inviting us into a space and a place with new heavens and new horizons that actually can be reality for us if we're willing to step out into it. Now, today in Elizabeth, just for a couple of minutes, Elizabeth is a great example of someone who hears the invitation extended to her, but I think for all of us, extended to us, someone who lives her life faithfully, who lives her life fruitfully, even though, according to the way the story is structured, her life may seem to be common and routine. Let me unpack that for you. I mean, Elizabeth is steadily present in Luke chapter 1. All the way through, she's in that. She's a pretty significant character. And yet, even though she's such a significant character, she's relegated to kind of the secondary level of the story. She's not the lead singer in the band. No offense to Marshall, but she's the bass player, right? 
She sits in the back. She gives a, a wonderful undertone and undercurrent to the story, but she's not up front. She's in the background. Even in Luke's telling of Elizabeth's story and her barrenness, it's really Zechariah's story. It's her husband's story. It's the way the Bible was written. It was in a patriarchal system, in a patriarchal time, and, and the man was the focus. But again, Elizabeth is present. It's her story, and yet she's something of a minor character, even in her own story. And yet she still has profound impact. She produces great change. The word generativity comes up. She helps to create and birth something special. The angel Gabriel, when he goes to Mary, and we didn't read all of chapter one, but when he goes to Mary, he says to her exactly why she can't believe this is going to happen to her. He shares what will happen to Elizabeth. Elizabeth comes the proof in the pudding that God is a God who can do all things and can do anything. All things are possible with this God. So Mary, you don't need to be uh, in disbelief. You don't need to be afraid because God's doing a similar thing in your cousin, Elizabeth. This is the nature of God. He's softening Mary's uh, receptive heart because Mary's, un her unbelief or disbelief, she's willing to participate in God's reality, but she's not sure that she can. And when Mary then goes to see Elizabeth up in the Judean hills, and I love this painting, of Mary visiting with Elizabeth after she has this encounter up in the hills as she goes to visit her the spotlight shines primarily on Mary which it should she's a main character but Elizabeth plays a very important supporting role without Elizabeth the story assumes Mary may not have been receptive enough to move forward with God's unique plan for the salvation of the world. Her role, Elizabeth's role, opens Mary's heart to receive her to step into her role, to allow her to receive and step into her role. You know, Elizabeth's life is depicted in some ways as common or routine or ordinary. She's barren, the scripture says. And actually, the way it words, I, I like how it says of them, um, both of them were righteous. Um, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. Now, as a 53-year-old man, I don't know what that means, uh, getting on in years. But I'm starting to think that they may be talking about me. Her barrenness is a symbolic sign of her need of her emptiness, of her desperation, of her inability to give herself what it is she so longs for in life. And so she has to be dependent upon God. You see, when you're barren, when you're empty, when you have no answer and no recourse, you don't really have any option but to be dependent upon one who can actually provide resource for you. And when it comes to life, the barrenness of her womb, there's only one that can, can give her what she needs. She can only receive from God's hand. And what's interesting when Mary visits, Mary is very familiar, connected, understanding of Elizabeth's role in all of this. She knows that Elizabeth is a part of the same divine plan that she has been invited into. And so when she goes to Elizabeth's house in the Judean hills, she is looking to explore 
her own religious experience, her own experience with God, her own encounter with the angel, her own transcendent experience. She wants to be in the presence of someone who has been through a similar experience, who is also experiencing the transcendent. This is, this is what is really fascinating here. This is one of those ways where when, when you are at, at the end of your rope and you go to seek out help, you want to seek out help from someone who has moved through that season of life and made it out the other side and experienced a victory through whatever it is that they've faced. Or even if it hasn't been quite the victory, they've walked through the season of the valley of the shadow of death and they've come out the other side and they fear no evil. That's who you want to be in the presence of. No matter how common or ordinary they might be. And that's what Mary does with Elizabeth. She wants to be with someone else who knows about her experience. So Mary is going to the exact right place where she needs to be. My friends, I'll, I'll close with this. Elizabeth in our scripture today is the one who cuts the door out of the warehouse of the of the current reality that Mary and Elizabeth lived in. She cut the door. She saw out the window. She cut the door in the warehouse and she led Mary and everyone else out to experience a new heaven and a new horizon. And that's what we can do. That's what's so powerful about this season that we're in is that, you know, we always talk about Christmas invites us to this promise and possibility where we can actually, you know, we can actually be like the who's at Christmas who don't need presents when they wake up in the morning. They have each other. That's not some make-believe dreamed for reality. It can be the reality. It is the reality of the Bible where everyone is welcome at God's table. Because as Matt Russell said, we may have bought this table. Chapelwood may have bought this table, but we don't own this table. This is who we are. This is the reality that we have to continue to struggle because I really believe that we are in this place, as Bart says, where maybe we've cut the door out of the warehouse, but we kind of move in and out, back and forth. And when the pressures of life get on us, we kind of move back into the safety and the security of our own worldview, of our own ethos, of our own passions, of our own predispositions. And all of those cultural forces call us and draw us right back into the safety and the security of the anger and the fear. And God's like, you don't have to do that. You really don't have to go back and forth. You don't have to go back in the warehouse at all. You are invited, as Bart said, to live in the new world in the Bible. To live in a new reality every day. So what if the rest of the world doesn't love as they should? We can't. So what if the rest of the world is not gentle and kind and doesn't model self-control and compassion and feed the poor and, and long to, to work for justice in the world? doesn't mean we don't have to. Followers of Christ, we are called to live in the new world that is reflected in God's word. And may God invite all of us in this Advent season, this Christmas season, you know, when, when this season is over and we put everything back in the boxes, may we not walk back into the warehouse.
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the message of Elizabeth. And we thank you for each and every person in here today who may feel as if they are common or ordinary or in routine aspects of life. Remind us today that you use us. You invite us to be used. And you invite us into the transcendent story that is God alive and at work to be experienced every day in this world we live in. Lord, we want to embody your grace. We want to embody Jesus. The message of Christmas is that Christ came to the world, Emmanuel, God came to be with us. Now we are called to be Christ in the world. Give us the strength to live into that, we pray in your name. Amen.